Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And I love this church. I really do love this church. Um, I said it in the chapel service that um, testing does a couple of things. Uh, Testing, first and foremost, shows us where we're at. Okay, so if there's anyone here with a kid in primary school or in high school this week, um, your kid, like my kid, was whinging about NAPLAN tests, okay? And for those who don't know, um, most of Australian, um, most Australian young people went through a NAPLAN test this week just to check where they're, where they're at with their education and where their school is at um, and how they're going educating our young people. Uh, and what, what happens is that in that test, uh, where you're at is shown. And you've got to understand that that 2016 so far has been a testing year for Victory Church, and, and something has been shown. And that which has been shown is that this is a church that is built um, on a foundation that is unshakable, and that's Jesus Christ. It's shown that this church is compassionate and caring. It's shown that this church loves and trusts God in the darkest night and the wildest storm. It shows a lot, and uh, what has been seen in this church is nothing but beauty, nothing but gold. Testing shows us where we're at, and 2016 so far has shown where victory is at. You are in a good place, but it's only getting better. The second thing testing does, it, it grows us. This is not the sermon, this is like kind of me just going off script a little bit, but Testing not only shows us where we're at, but the Bible makes it clear that testing grows us to where we were destined to be. That's the reason in the book of James, chapter 1, the pastor, the apostle, the teacher James says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials and tests of many kinds. I love that because even in that statement, he makes it clear that if you're going through a test in life, if you're going through a trial in this moment, It's not like you've done something wrong or somehow God is smiting you. No, this is par for the course, this side of eternity. But when you find yourself in the trial, when you find yourself in the test, consider it pure joy. Not kind of joy or eventual joy or somehow God will turn this for... No, right here, right now, smile big because this is pure joy. Because something is happening here. Something is growing here. Something is being refined here. Something is being developed here. Something is being constructed here. Something is being clarified here that down the track, we're going to give glory to God for it. Because if you can endure this trial, perseverance will develop. And if you allow perseverance to finish its course, we will be people, a church. Presented before God, complete, mature, lacking nothing. Testing shows us where we're at and what we're really made of. But testing also grows us. If you respond correctly, if you redeem this situation, it will deliver us towards our destiny. Victory Church, thank you so much for being an incredible example of of strength and faith in the midst of the test. 
Who you are is being seen. What you've been destined to be, my friends, is unfolding. And so today I want to kind of speak into that just a little bit. I want to talk about relationships. Last night as I was praying and preparing, after sitting down on on the couch in my hotel room, kind of strangely um, satisfied from that Royal Adelaide dinner, I was just thinking about where to go in our morning services uh, this Sunday morning. And I really felt in my spirit to, to speak practically about our relationships, about the health of our relationships, about the trajectory of our relationships, the depth and the strength of our relationships for a number of reasons. Number one, this church is coming into a season of reaching out and reproducing. You're seeing the banners around, you're seeing some of the artwork around, you're seeing some of the slogans around, but you've got to understand, it's not just a banner, it's not just artwork, it's not just a slogan. This, I believe, is a word from God for this community. That in a season that the enemy meant for harm, God is going to turn it around for good. In a season where a, 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 a normal church would just basically batten down the hatches and cower in the corner. Victory Church, not being a normal church, is going to laugh in the face of the trial, endure the process, and see a harvest in this time. I believe with all of my heart. And if we are going to be a part of a work that reaches out and reproduces, we've got to understand that this is a team game and we've got to do it together. This ain't an individual sport. Ain't one person standing on a dice at the end of this putting a, uh, having a medal put around their neck. No, this is a team sport. We're standing together on the dais. Come on, we're lifting up the cup together. And if we're going to achieve what we've been called to achieve as a church, we have to achieve this together. Because the Bible makes it clear that two are better than one. And if we are going to see the harvest like God wants us to see the harvest, we must do it within the context of relationship. As well as that, there are some people here in this room who know full well what it's like to go through a trial, to go through a test, to go through a storm. And in that situation and in that moment, come on, we need each other more than ever. Now is a time in the middle of what we are going through as a church to not splinter away or to separate ourselves, but to, come on, lean into each other, to lean on each other, to pick each other up. We need to talk about relationships because in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a test, come on, we need each other. A healthy relationship will ensure that we get to the other side. And thirdly, I just want to talk about relationships because I believe at the end of the day, this whole life deal is about relationships. You get the relationship thing right, everything else seems to work out all right. I am totally convinced that nothing will impact your joy, nothing will provide you with a sense of fulfillment like a healthy, growing, deepening, strengthening relationship. Amen? Because at the end of the day, that's what all of life is about our relationships. It's not about the money that we make or the stuff that we get, the positions that we hold or the power that we wield. At the end of the day, it all boils down to this, our relationships and their health. Science would suggest this. Just do a, a really simple Google search 
regarding kind of uh, the connection between healthy relationships and a fulfilled life. And you will see study after study, research after research, clearly defining the connection between healthy relationships and satisfaction in life, joy in the journey, even physical health. I read a study the other day that said that healthy relationships are actually even connected to us feeling richer in life. You want to feel richer in life? You don't need more money. You just need more friends. And like I said, as an Asian kind of like intellectual, analytical mind, I was trying to work out how does that kind of work? And I kind of reasoned that we must feel richer when we have a lot of friends because maybe there's more people to split the bill with or like kind of... Do you ever do this thing where you're hanging out with a group of friends and like the bill comes to the table and you oh, my wallet, I left it in the car and you pick it up this time, I'll get, I don't know why, but the, the studies make it clear that, that life is just so much better. Come on, when you find yourself in the midst of healthy relationships, science makes it clear. Life makes it clear. Think about every major like kind of checkpoint in the human journey. The, the, the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, the, the, the marriage between two people. Time and time again, you will see the most significant pointers on the human timeline are all connected to one thing, relationships. The birth of someone coming into your world that you now have an unbreakable relationship with. The loss of someone and the ache that comes from knowing you won't be able to speak to them this side of eternity. It's all about relationships. They're coming together where two become one. Why do we celebrate? Because something is happening that, that, that couldn't happen in any other context. It's the celebration of relationship. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's really all that matters. The health of our relationships. As a pastor, um, like I'm an old pastor now. I turned 40 in February and like kind of I'm going through my midlife crisis right now. And, and like I've seen a lot. My eyes are small, but they're surprisingly strong. And, and I've observed throughout my journey as a pastor that at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. As someone who travels now for a living, I, I meet a lot of different people. I've met some rich people. I've met a few famous people. I've met some powerful people. And I found that the common denominator between people who enjoy life and are squeezing the most out of their journey is not their fame. It's not their power. It's not the prestige. It's the health of their relationships. Come on, the depth of their connection. My experience shows that at the end of the day, it's really all about just these relationships that we have in our lives and the health of them. The Bible makes it clear. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. In Matthew chapter 22, his disciples were asking him, Yeah, Jesus, can you just boil it down and make it really clear for us? What is really important? What is this whole life deal about? We're a little bit confused. There are 10 commandments and 621 moral laws and philosophers and rabbis and teachers and thinkers and theorists and everyone's having their say. Hey, Jesus, why don't you draw a line under everything and give us the most important concepts to hold on to? And Jesus didn't even have to think about it. He cleared his celestial throat and he spoke. He said, at the end of the day, this is life. Learn how to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love each other as yourself. Or in other words, this whole life deal is about 
the relationships that you foster, the health that grows within those connections. First and foremost, your relationship with God, your Creator, because creation only has context once it has a relationship with the Creator. And secondly, your relationships with the people to your left and the people to your right, the people who surround you, at the end of the day, all of life hangs on this, the health of those two relationships. It's all about these connections. Now, there are some people here in this room who are new to this faith journey, kind of, you're, you're not sure about church stuff, you're definitely not sure about the Bible and Jesus stuff. So if you don't trust Jesus and you don't trust the Bible, just trust new idea or trust like kind of who we go. Trust the magazines that sit at the end of that checkout. Just trust that because they make it really clear at the end of the day. Come on, it's all about relationships. Have you just seen those pictures of so-and-so and so-and-so, like kind of like that, that sneaky little paparazzi shot taken of them having a little secret rendezvous and how happy they are because there's a burgeoning relationship. And then kind of that happiness grows because the week after they come out and let everyone know about their relationship. It becomes official in the 21st century. Their Facebook status changes and everyone is happy as you see them walking hand in hand. This brand new relationship and, and what they do is they get those two names and they kind of mash them together. It's like, like, like Brangelina and like kind of a Ben and a Jen, like a Benifer. And, and I like kind of, it's all, oh, everyone is happy. Why? Because there's a relationship. But then what happens? The relationship goes on the rocks the week after because someone gets a picture of them walking separately. Like kind of Beck's walking this way, Layden's going that way, and everything is falling apart. And what happens? Like kind of, you know, a dark nights on this relationship and everything is sad because the thought of them being disconnected because that, the idea of a disconnected relationship, it, it's, just, it's just unthinkable. But then, hey, everything's good again because having a baby now. And, every, and so I kind of, all of the breakup split rumors are all gone now. They're together again. What happened? Everyone's happy again. But then what happens after a while, you have, they have their baby, they bring a nanny into the mix and the nanny runs off with a dude and then everyone's sad again. And so even if you don't trust the Bible, trust a new idea to make it very clear. At the end of the day, it's really all about this relationship thing. You want to go through life with a smile on your dial and joy in your heart and purpose in your steps? Do relationships well. Because when we're connected, we're happy. We're, we're, when we run off with our nanny, like, like, like in the midst of the breakdown, come on, everything breaks down. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. So what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks, even in my personal study, I've been asking questions about my relationships. First and foremost, my relationship with my beautiful best friend and wife. Like, how am I going in my marriage and my relationship with my children and my relationship with my friends and, and people that I minister with? I've been asking questions in my personal quiet times. Hey, God, speak to me. Be my teacher, Holy Spirit regarding my relationships and how are they strengthening? How are they going deeper? How is their health? And what I've been doing is I've been trying to find different examples and, and specific teaching in the Bible that can help me in a practical way in my relationships. I think most people, most people here in this room would acknowledge, at least from a theological and theoretical point of view, that it's all about relationships. And we'd all say, yes, I believe in that. But I want to take that next step and say, hey, how do we actually do things differently? Come on, how do we interact differently? Come on, how do we communicate differently 
to make sure that from season to season, from stage to stage, come on, we're always going deeper into relationship, that our relationships are always growing healthier. So, so I went through um, a parts of the New Testament trying to find different examples of great relationships and especially pastoral teaching on relationships. Or in other words, I'm trying to find sermons preached in like churches back in the day all about our relationships. And I came across this fascinating passage in the book of James. If you've got your Bible, go with me to the book of James. It's near the back of the book. And James is a fascinating character because James knew all about relationships. Why? Because first and foremost, James was a half-brother of Jesus. James was raised in the household that Jesus was raised in. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine like kind of complaining to your mom? Mom, why do I always have to get the, like the, the hand-me-downs? Why do I have to have Jesus' football boots? I want my own football boots. Could you imagine if you only knew who Jesus would become? If I knew that, I would be holding on to those foot. Can you imagine how much you got on eBay for a pair of real, authentic, genuine Jesus football boots? And so this guy got Jesus' hand-me-downs, and we don't know a lot about Jesus' like kind of a childhood and teenage life, but we do know that there were some interesting things happening in his family. First and foremost, Jesus, the Son of God, is like kind of my half-brother. Joseph kind of like leaves the scene after a period of time the different turmoils and the different tensions. He knew it as a kid growing up. And one of his first basic jobs was he became a disciple of Jesus. So he knew relationships there. He kind of hung out with 12 dudes wandering around the Sea of Galilee, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead. They got into the craziest adventures. So he knew relationships because he was a, a part of the original crew who hung around Jesus. And in his later life, he would become the pastor to pastors. James, throughout church history, is known as James the Lesser. James, the, one of the first bishops of Jerusalem, he became an authority in the church, the one who other churches listened to. So when Jesus, or when James writes, you pay attention because this is like the pastor's pastor who knows about stuff, who knows stuff about stuff, talking about life. And, and so here I am, I'm reading through the book of James and trying to find some inside scoops about doing relationships. And at the heart of his teaching, his thinking about relationships, there, there are these two verses that I know for me, I found incredibly challenging and incredibly inspiring and incredibly, um, uh, and incredibly I found them incredibly fruitful um, as I've been trying to apply them in my life. It's found in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 19. And he says this, hey, my dear brothers and sisters, I like that. I like how right away he addresses all the brothers and the sisters in the house. It's like kind of all the brothers here in this room who feel that kind of communication is about being the strong, silent type and that you can like kind of communicate and relate through grunts. No, no, brothers, I want you to pay attention to this. And sisters, you ain't off the hook either because you might be good with your words, but sometimes you have to ask the question, like, you know, a lot of stuff is coming out of your mouth, but really is it that help? No, so, so, so he's like going, okay, brothers and sisters, you all in the same boat here. I want everyone to pay attention to this. Take note of this. Or in other words, I, I don't want you just to kind of chat about it and forget about it. I want you to take note of it. I want you to imprint this on your mind. I want you to tattoo this on your soul. I want this to mark your life. Take note of this. Everyone would do well to be quicker to listen, slower to speak, 
and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Or in other words, he's saying, all right, this is gonna help you massively in every relationship in your life, whether it's between uh, a husband and a wife, whether it's between somebody and their partner, whether it's between uh, a, a parent and a child, whether it's between you and a workmate, whether it's between you and someone you play sport with, whether it's between someone you do ministry with, we would all do well to be quicker to listen, slower to speak, and really slow to become angry. Because anger doesn't produce the kind of life that glorifies God. No, anger hurts the heart of God. No, we want to be in a place and a space where we can operate out of, of patience and grace. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I just want to just dance around these three concepts for a few moments. And then we'll wrap up our time together and all share in some beautiful um, so some hot beverages out from that cafe. I had a soy chai latte with a dash of vanilla this morning, which was amazing. And so I like, kind of, we'll all grab a drink. But just first, I want to just think about what it means to be slow to speak and quick, no, no, a slow, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because just as a personal testimony, over the last couple of months, by the grace of God and the help by the Spirit, I know this has helped me massively in a few of my relationships. And my heart's hope and my heart's prayer in this season of excitement, this season of challenge, and just in the season of life, that this would help you, come on, in some way, shape, or form as we grow and go forward with healthier relationships. Amen. Okay, so the first thing just to, to think about here, if we want to grow some healthier relationships, is to be quick to listen. Quick to to listen. Everyone say quick. Say quick like you're awake. Quick. Say quick like an Australian. Quick. No, like really like you're from far north Queensland. Quick. Say quick like an American. Quick. Say quick like a Chinaman. Quick. Awesome. Quick to listen. It means be instinctive in your listening. Your first port of call is trying to understand. Wouldn't you agree with me that in this day and age, we've lost the art of conversation? Like nowadays, it's like really just waiting for your term, turn to speak. Like that's how I'm like sometimes. Because I, I know and, and my opinion is always right. And so therefore, I'm going to give you my kind of thoughts. And then I'll let you say whatever you want to say. But when you're out of breath, then I'm going to put, you know, basically an underscore. And a, a, no, no, he's saying no. Instead of being the person who's always trying to force your opinion on others, Take time, come on, make it your instinct to listen to others, to understand others. Because unless, unless you understand somebody, you won't ever know where they're coming from. And if you don't understand where they're coming from, you'll never relate. And nobody wants to connect with someone they can never relate with. But if you can listen to someone, come on, you can then understand someone. When you understand someone, you can speak their language or at least come from a point where they're getting where you're coming from too. And that always builds something that at the end of the day will become a healthy relationship. Be quick to listen. Instead of always trying to force your point, try to understand another's point. Be quick to listen instead of discounting someone's opinion or idea. 
entertain and encourage that idea. Because when we are quick to listen, come on, we develop something called empathy. And empathy opens the doors to relationship. Now, a lot of people here in this room have never heard the word empathy before. Empathy just means that I understand where you're coming from. I feel where you are. And it makes a massive difference in our relationships when we commit ourselves to the discipline of empathizing with others. I saw the power of empathy last year. Um, I was at the golf course and I was teeing off by myself, but then the guys in the pro shop asked if I would play golf with somebody else. And I said, oh, I always love having a walk around and meeting someone new. And so I met a, uh, met a man who would have been probably late 50s, early 60s. His name was Albie. And uh, we started walking down the first hole and, and just, we're just walking away, just chatting away. And as you do, for those who don't play golf, on the first hole, it's always like kind of opening introductions. Like, what's your name? Where you're from? Where do you live? What do you do? That kind of stuff. And so we're kind of walking along and, and I'm just chatting away to Albie and he seemed like quite a, uh, you know, a, nice, a, a nicer um, you know, Australian man and we're kind of walking along. And we get to the second hole and then kind of asked him the question, like, whereabouts do you live? And he said, like, I live in Glen Waverley. And for those who don't know, like, the Melbourne metro area, Glen Waverley is a suburb um, that historically was quite Anglo-Saxon, uh, but a lot of my kind moved in and basically changed a lot. So, and so Glen Waverley now is very, very Asian-dominated. And I just made the throwaway comment. I said, wow, hasn't Glen Waverley changed a lot in the last couple of years? To which he replied, yeah, those Asians are taking over. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa. So we're walking down the second hole, and he started going on this tirade about how much he disliked Asians and kind of how we buy all the houses, don't take care of the gardens or the lawns, move three families into one house, have our cars everywhere, cook food that smells funny. And as I'm walking along going, does this guy realize? So I'm like kind of, oh my, this is really, really awkward. And so the whole second hole, he's just going, just teeing off and on, on, on how frustrated he was with Asian people. And the whole time going, I'm wondering, is he not only racist, but also colorblind? Like kind of. <laughs> so we get onto the third hole and I'm trying to change the conversation. So I'm asking him, okay, so, so what do you do for a living? Are you retired now? Do you still work? And he's saying, um, I'm semi-retired, but I still work part-time as a nurse. I'm a nurse. And I'm going, okay, wow. So whereabouts do you nurse? Like, are you at a local hospital? And he goes, no, I work in refugee health services. So I thought to myself, now this is a strange picture. <laughs> Here's a guy who hasn't got a lot of time for Asian people or ethnic people. He kept calling us ethnics. I don't know why. And so I kind of, and, and now he's working around like kind of, you know, resettled people from other parts of the world. I think to myself, this would be like comical to watch him at work around a bunch of people who he who had no time for. But then he went on to talk about how it's been an amazing journey over the last couple of years and how now some of his best friends are people that he's met through this refugee health service. And then I'm going, wow. So he starts telling me about some like Cambodian friends that he's made and some of, uh, so, some of his best friends coming from Afghanistan. And like, I'm going, wow, like, okay, so how does a guy who's like borderline racist end up with all of these friends from all these different races? And then he just started telling me. He goes, oh yeah, it was a little bit weird at, at first. And when they were coming over here, I kind of, you know, you know didn't really warm to them quickly. But then after a while, I discovered that they weren't unlike me. And that if I was in their shoes, I'd probably do much of the same things. 
And then it started to hit me, the power of empathy. And that's the reason Jesus, when he was talking about like what the golden rule is in Matthew chapter 7, he says, hey, at the end of the day, even, even, if, you, even if you forget everything else, just remember this one, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Or in other words, put yourself in other people's shoes. And if you do that, come on, it'll make a power of difference in relating to people. Because when you understand somebody, then you can communicate. When you can communicate, relationships get healthier. When you refuse to understand somebody, a wall gets built. And instead of seeing somebody to journey with, it's somebody who either encroaches on your space or someone to be, nothing good, nothing good comes of a situation where you refuse to try to understand where someone is coming from. If you want to grow healthier in relationships, I know that I do, and, and it's been a challenge for me. Make it your instinct. Come on, your first port of call to try to understand where someone is coming from. Husbands here in this room, when you're getting yelled at by your wife, sweetheart, just understand where I'm coming from. Just I feel that if I play more golf, I'll be a better husband. Understand. The second little thought here is to be slow to speak. Come on. Let's be slower to speak. Let's be more deliberate with our words. Because words are bricks, my friend. And with that brick, you can bludgeon someone to death. But with that brick, you can build somebody up. That's the reason in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, Let no unwholesome talk, come on, come out of your mouth but only that which is useful for building others up according to their needs. Words are bricks. That's the reason there are some people here in this room who are 50, 60 years of age, but they're still being affected in a negative way from a word that was spoken over their life when they were a teenager. Even though it's a distant memory, it still affects your soul. Why? Because a word is a brick and it was used to bludgeon you so many years ago. That's the reason there's still a negative effect. That's the reason there are some people who are 50, 60 years old here in this room who are still serving God and running hard after Jesus. Because why? There was a life word spoken over your life as a teenager. And that has set into motion something that's, come on, unfolding still to this day in a positive way. And because our words are like bricks, they can either bludgeon or build. They can either ruin or restore. We need to be a lot slower with them. We have to become a more careful with them. The reason words are like bricks is because you understand that in the Bible, the first time words were introduced, they were introduced as a construction tool. I won't go into it too deeply because there's a countdown clock up there and there's a trap door here. And when that finishes off, this thing opens up and I disappear like the gospel ninja that I am. And so I won't go into it too deeply, but basically the law of first mention basically says this, that when you want to understand a theme, a topic or a concept in the Bible, go find the first time it's mentioned in the Bible and it'll give you a heads up on how to interpret it from that point on. And what's fascinating is when you study words, you've got to understand that words weren't first introduced for communication, for me to speak to you, for you to speak to me. No, words were first used for creation. Let there be light. That word 
actually can build something. So we have to be so careful because, like I said, with a word, you can build something beautiful. With a word mistimed, you can break something down. With a word, you can resurrect a discouraged soul. With an errant word, you can ruin somebody's journey. And that's the reason here Pastor James says, not only do we have to all learn how to understand each other just a little bit more and make empathy our goal, but we need to just be a little bit smarter in the way that we speak, a little bit slower in the stuff that shoots out of our mouth. I love that. I love the idea that we get the opportunity to, come on, build each other up according to their needs. I hope and pray that victory from season to season would always use their words more wisely. Come on, to to build each other up. I'm going to dare you. No, I'm going to double dog dare you. Come on, to even this week, use your words to build somebody up. To Come on, encourage somebody. Encouragement isn't hard. It just takes you some time to observe something that's positive. It takes a little bit of courage to let that person know that, they, that, that you saw it, and it just takes some humility for you to thank them for it. You know what I'm saying? I love, I love Ashley. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage Ashley. I'm telling you now, for years I've been coming here back and forth, and I've seen you kind of oversee services and like be like the smiling face that, 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 that's there to greet people. And you've got to understand that you don't see it, but you have had as much impact here at Victory Church as anybody else who stood on a stage in the spotlight. I'm telling you now, that love, and you know what, that encourages my heart. Encourages my heart because that means that this church gets it. That it's not just one body type doing everything. It's about many different parts making up one powerful body. And the fact that you're doing stuff like this, complementing the tones and the cats of this world, I just know that this church has got a bright, bright future. Now, I, I didn't, I did, that was a genuine piece of encouragement, but that's all it takes. Come on. At some point throughout the course of this week, encourage someone in your world. Speak life into their soul. Come on, build up their confidence. Come on, restore their courage. Speak it out. I'm going to dare every husband in this room to encourage their wife on the way home from church today. You're in the car, you're driving along, and you're going to be doing, sweetheart, thanks a lot. Love the, love the way that you're like kind of a model to our kids. And, and your wife will get angry. She'll start yelling at you. She'll be like kind of, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're doing this right now. Like, you're only doing this because that Dan Leanne's the guy said, and I, I, you never encourage. And to that, you're going to go, sweetheart, you're right. I don't do this enough. But that's changing. You just wait. This time next month, when I forget what that Asian guy's name was, and I'm still encouraging, come on, I'm challenging you men here in this room. Speak life into that wife. Come on, women, encourage, encourage your men. You'd be amazed at how discouraging a world this is and how few times they hear anything, anything positive spoken over their journey. You have no idea how much it means to, to a man to have encouragement spoken to them. Come on, parents, encourage your kids. 
Yes, tell them to turn off the Xbox and tell them, yes, your eyes are going square because you watch so much TV, because that's all scientifically true. But at the same time, make sure for every one bit of correction, you give them five pieces of encouragement to make sure that they can face this life. Come on, built up. Be careful with your words. Use them wisely. Be quick to listen. Understand where people are coming from. Be slow to speak. Be very careful with your words. And thirdly and lastly, as my my time finishes up, be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. We get angry way too quick nowadays, don't we? We get angry really quick. I, I, I don't know why, but it feels like in this day and age, like everyone, as soon as something gets their nose out of joint, they jump on the express bullet train to Angersville, and it's like, it's all over. I'm just walking out of this. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm leaving this. We just get angry really quick. I don't know why it is. I think maybe there, there have been some societal, some cultural shifts. Like, baby, I remember back in the day, when you, got, when you got angry at an organization, you wrote a letter. Remember that one? You got angry. I'm writing a letter. I'm writing a letter. I'm getting out a piece of paper. I'm getting my pen. And I'm writing a letter. To whom it may concern. There are young people here in this room right now who have never seen a letter in their life. Because they're whispering to each other. What's the letter? I don't know. What's the letter? I don't know. We used to write, like, and we used to get out, vent our anger, and we go find like an envelope, go find like a 25 cent stamp, put it in the box, wait two days until it got there, and maybe got a letter in return. But nowadays, if we're angry, we just like kind of, we just vent on Facebook. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I was at this bakery today and I can't believe it that that crust was so overdone on that sausage roll. And when I took that sausage roll back, that girl looked at me with such indifference. I cannot believe this. This is like the most horrible thing happening in the world right now. No, it's not the worst thing happening right now. Second of all, maybe some of the societal shifts has caused us to get just a little bit too angry, a little bit too quickly. And here, is, here Pastor James says, and trust me, like kind of getting into that angry place doesn't produce good stuff. Now, every now and then, it's right to get angry if it's a, if it's a holy injustice. And, and just for the record, a burnt pastry is not a holy injustice. But every now and then, like, a, a, like it's, it's right to be indignant about things that break the heart of God. Hey, it's right to get angry if you find yourself in an abusive relationship and you need to protect yourself. I'm not saying that there aren't times to, to separate yourself from something or to, or to get angry. I'm not saying that there aren't times, but I would say that for most of the time, come on, we would all do well, amen, to slow down a little bit. And before we jump onto that express bullet train to Angersville, to bring peace and a little bit of grace and maybe a little bit of empathy and maybe some, some, some words that open lines of communication come on into the situation. Don't get angry so quickly. I, I, I love how um, the writer of Hebrews puts it in, in chapter 10, verse 25. He said, you know, a lot of you guys are going to get angry at each other at some point, but don't give up on each other. I know, I know you're going to want to run away and kind of just disconnect again, and, but but but. Some people get into the habit of doing that. Don't be one of those people. 
but hang in there, come on, with one another. I love how in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, bear with one another. Come on, everyone turn to, your, to, to, to the person to your left or your right and say, hey, bear with me. Come on, seriously, husbands, turn to your wife and say, bear with me. Hey, 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 I just saved the marriage there. I feel it, you know what I'm saying? Like, Because life isn't all beer and Skittles. Oh, we're in a church, I'm sorry. Life isn't all lemon, lime, bitters and Skittles. <laughs> Relationships get rocky. Our connections get tried. But in that moment, if we make a decision to bear with each other, we'll get to the other side. And you'll see something develop, you'll see something grow, you'll see something birth that could not be developed, grown, or birthed in any other environment. But we can't get so angry and jump off the boat so quickly. Don't get angry. Bring patience and love and grace into this situation. Bear with each other. Don't give up. You're getting to the other side. I say this all the time because I believe it with all of my heart. Victory Church is a different church because God wants to see something different happening in this state. And I believe that, again, every time I come back here, everyone's just that bit more energetic, that more infused. There are always a few more seats. I'm telling you now, you're heading in the most exciting direction. But I promise you that you, would prepare, you will propel towards your collective destiny quicker. You will enjoy your personal journey greater if you consistently and continually understand that at the end of the day, it's all about this relationship stuff. And if we can make the decision by the grace of God and the help of His Spirit, Come on, to understand each other a little bit more and know where each other are coming from. And if we can be wiser with our words and use them more powerfully and well. And if we can make a decision to hang in there with each other, even though it's testing, even though some people are trying. I believe that we're getting to the other side and we're going to get there together. Uh, the other day when I, when I got here, actually the other night, I, uh, I was chatting to uh, one, of, one, of, one of your leaders here who, 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 I, who I've met over the last couple of years and just chatting about this year and, <clears throat> and what a rubbish year it's been in many ways. And I can't imagine how this has rattled your community because I know for, for me, even living over in Melbourne, I'm rattled. I have many friends in ministry. I only had a handful of brothers. And Chris Goog was one of them. And, um, and so for that to hit, and then and now what Tone's going through and a bunch of other stuff that I know. And so we're chatting about it. And this person just made this comment. I cannot wait till 2016 is done. Because 2017 is going to be better. And I wanted to go, oh, well. 
I can't guarantee you that. And I can't. There's nothing in the Bible that says, like, kind of, you just have to endure one bad year, but the next one's going to be a bumper. And I get it, there's nothing like that in the Bible. It's just seasons, man. So I can't guarantee you. Now, I hope that it's going to be better. I pray that, that, that you won't see some of the same tragedies unfold. But I can't guarantee you that. I can just guarantee you this. That if you ensure that you keep a good heart and you ensure that you stay close to good people around you, that you ensure that you're always growing deeper in healthy relationships. Come on, whatever comes in 2017, we're either going to give glory to God together for the breakthrough and the miracle, or we'll find ourselves in the midst of a storm again. But at least there's someone standing under the umbrella with us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.